you know, many of us have come to the practice because we are experiencing, you know, dukkha in some way or another, which is, you know, the translation for the word dukkha is unsatisfactoriness or instability. And sometimes it's also translated as suffering, but that does have a negative connotation. It isn't really meeting what dukkha really means because, you know, dukkha is not... Uh, something you know which is an inherent uh, falseness in the phenomena we are meeting but it's rather the way how we are relating to <coughs> phenomena which is producing the the suffering so instability or unsatisfactoriness is a much better translation because that's the way things are because of impermanence there is an instability and an unreliability in inherent in all phenomena and if we meeting them in the right way suffering doesn't really arise but because of our you know conditioning and because of how our sense organs operate we we expecting too much from experience if we have not trained in really seeing into the depths of the way things are and in the meditation practice you know is the technology which enables us you know to look underneath the surface and to really experience for ourselves those uh, three characteristics of life which is a way how we can you know sum up the core teachings of the buddha the three characteristics the first one is impermanence or anicca in the pali language that's the one you know which we can see the easiest when we are sitting down for example, you know, choosing to watch the body breathing in and breathing out. If we stay with the breath, we can discern very quickly, you know, the, the breath is coming in and coming out, is constantly changing all by itself. We don't have to make it happen. It's just a law of nature operating and we can observe it. And the second way how we can see impermanence is, you know, that we choose to stay with an object of meditation, for example, the body breathing, and then the mind wanders off into following thoughts about the past and the future, hopes and fears, pleasure and pain. So the mind doesn't really stay with the chosen object of meditation. That's also something we can discern very, very quickly at the beginning of the practice. So impermanence, you know, is considered like the entrance gate into the practice and then you know if we really reflect on impermanence then the second characteristic which is dukkha or unsatisfactoriness and instability becomes apparent quite quickly because that which is impermanent and is constantly changing <coughs> naturally cannot be relied upon because it is unstable but it doesn't mean it's bad or it's wrong. It's just what it is. And you know, and without this inherent impermanence and instability, there would be no developments, there would be no evolution, there would be no growth. So that whole life on the planet wouldn't make any sense. We wouldn't be able to practice because we would have a mind which would be stable means it's not changing at all. So this impermanence, this instability is actually 
affected which enables us to, to practice because we can change habits. We are not stuck with those habits forever, but we can choose to approach you know, our minds in a certain way and through that aligning ourselves with those laws of nature, we can direct the mind to change into a certain direction from an unwholesome way of operating, we can coax the mind you know, to become increasingly more aligned with the tr truth of the way things are with the Dhamma and then you know, we have much less friction in our lives because we are not working against reality. And there's a very lovely saying of Bhante Gunaratana, one of our Sri Lankan teachers here in America. He's saying, escaping into reality rather than from it. Because you know, usually we try to distract ourselves from the reality of suffering by you know, doing all kinds of things which can become quite addictive, you know, like uh, drinking, eating, smoking, you name it. There are so many different ways. And that's a way, you know, how we try to escape from the reality of our own pain. But if we really want to be successful with escaping from our pain, we have to go into reality because that's the only escape direction which will work. You know, by fully uh, taking in how this universe is operating and aligning ourselves with it. And you know that makes apparent the third characteristics of existence, which is not self, or sometimes you know we can also uh, maybe easier you know describe it non-separation. So there is nothing whatsoever you know in this whole process, which we call universe, which we can call me or mine, you know, which we can pin down and and um, possess, and you know have it our way. It's, we can only, um, you know, conventionally we can call this is my body and this is my, um, um, what is it, my microphone, but in reality of course, you know, I have no control over my body or very little control over my body. I can, you know, choose what I'm eating at the moment because I live in a country where that's possible, but who knows how it's going to be in a few years ahead. I cannot choose what this microphone is doing. I'm not quite sure if it's going to record, but I'll see afterwards. So, you know, to just take that in, you know. And because of, of our conditioning and also because, you know, we, we need to operate in the conventional realm, so we need to, you know, build boundaries. We need to, to know, you know what is Ayananda Bodhi's robes and, and which are my robes. I can't just get up in the morning and take her robes without asking her. <laughs> so there is some conventional truth in it because it, you know, it makes operating in the conventional realm easier. But ultimately, you know, those robes don't belong to her and those robes don't belong to me because I have no control over how long they're going to last. So you know, this is that constant um, working with both levels of truth, the conventional and the ultimate. And as I mentioned before, you know, you're, we're going, we have to go midstream. If we are drifting too much towards the conventional, we have to just paddle back into the middle of the river. And if we go too much towards the ultimate, we have to also paddle back into the middle. When we're in the middle, we can just float because that is a way of being in the world which 
is you know respectful of conventions but at the same time you know not, not attached to them and that's that's a way you know which is um, in in accordance with the way things really are in terms of respecting you know the truth of impermanence unsatisfactoriness and not self but at the same time also knowing that we have to live those truth in the conventional realm in the way it presents ourselves to us as human beings because that's what we are right now you know we are right now incarnated in a human body in this kind of a day and age in this country and there are certain conventions you know and and we it doesn't make sense you know to live against those conventions but it doesn't make sense you know to completely fully believe in them and attached to them because then there will be a lot of suffering from that. So to the middle way, that's the, you know, the teaching of the Buddha is all about that middle way to find a balance between those two truths. And you know practicing the Buddha's teaching is you know to have an increasing flexibility to have those both of those truths available to us at every moment and know you know how to maneuver to whatever you know we are meeting in our lives and you know those three characteristics of life if we are really completely and fully understand them that's like another way of, of uh, describing what enlightenment is all about. You know, to really completely look through appearances. Because appearances, they do appear, but they are, appear to us in a way which is different from what they truly are. So all of those things in which we can discern with our sense organs, this cup, these flowers, this bell, this body, they really do appear but they appear to us in a way different than from what they truly are because they are impermanent and not permanent. Even it looks very permanent right now. And they are unstable and not stable. Even it looks very stable, you know. It's very hard. And it looks separate from everything else in this room, but actually it isn't. So it is, you know, it is a real um, art, you know, to be able to live with both truths at the same time. And because you know we are all very strongly conditioned, we have to balance out this conditioning with the meditation by you know getting in touch with ultimate truths through really you know coming back here and uh, not completely co relying on the information we receive through the senses. And you know, a very nice example for that is if, for example, if you go outside in the night with a flashlight and you very quickly, you know, turn a flashlight like this, it appears to be like a solid ring of light. That's a very good example, you know, how our sense organs can fool us very, very easily, you know. And you know, to just through the meditation <laughs> practice, we become more familiar with the limitations of this uh, human. Uh, body and its six senses and we get to you know slowly we get to know there's more than just this 
and it's, it's, a, it's a long process of cultivating the mind. And then, you know, through kind of starting this process and not stopping, the mind gets increasingly more in alignment with, with reality. And that's, you know, the escape route, the only escape route which will ever work in order to, you know, have less friction in our lives is through going ever deeper into the way things really are and then, you know, living from that truth. <coughs> And because, you know, escaping into the surface appearances by, you know, having more things or, you know, reading more things or hearing more things or having, you know, going up higher or going down lower or having, going further or all of those different things we can do, those extremes, you know, we can try to have or be or whatever, you know, they never going to bring us any lasting place where we can <coughs> stay, you know, and where we can arrive, because it's constantly changing. And it's constantly, you know, revealing its instability to us. So, you know, to really take that in that, you know, we are not uh, We cannot change that, but we can change the way how we meet it, and the, we can change our expectations by, you know, investigating what is really happening, and then aligning ourselves with that. And that's a, that's a process, you know, which isn't uh, necessarily very intellectual. We need a certain amount of teaching, you know, to kind of look into the right direction, but then, you know, the real um, results come from the looking, you know, from the turning towards that, which is difficult sometimes to turn towards. And, and that's like a natural process, and we just need to align ourselves with it, because this, you know, this human birth which we are sharing at, at this point in time together, you know, it's about that, you know, it's, it's the perfect uh, opportunity for learning uh, about the way things are because you know the the mixture between pleasure and pain in this way of existing as a human being is very instructive for learning if we are born in there's many other ways how we could incarnate according to the Buddhist cosmology and within all of that you know the human birth is considered the most uh, precious one you know the most um, effective one in order to learn about the way things are. So it's a very great opportunity, you know, not to waste and and just, you know, stopping where we are and, and going into reality from where we are, that's that's enough. You know, we don't need more than this. We already have a lot of good uh, fortune by being born in this way. And I'd like to end with a with a quote of a Zen master who is called Ehi Dogen, and I thought this was a very fitting for today. So why go off to the dusty realms of foreign lands when there is a seat right in your very own home? Sit down there and the way will open before you. So I read it one more time. 
Why go off to the dusty realms of foreign lands when there is a seat right in your very own home? Sit down there and the way will open before you. It's as simple as that. But it, you know, it's, uh, we need to sensitize ourselves. This is what, what is the, what we mean with cultivating the mind, because we all, our minds are pretty, you know, coarse, really, because we are, consumerism, you know, is, is such a high impact uh, on the senses, that the senses are not very good in discerning subtleties. So that's why we need to, to meditate, you know, and it, in the beginning it can be, it's very boring, because, you know, suddenly all of these entertainments are stripped away and then we are just like with the simplicity of this body and mind and we fall asleep, you know, and we get, we get daydream, we get drowsy because it's not enough, you know, because we are used to such a high pace of sound and smell and touch and taste. It's just so boring to just be just with this. So. You know, this is what the seven factors of enlightenment are all about, what Anna Bodhi also shortly mentioned is, you know, this ability to sensitize our minds so it can really take in what's really happening here. And that's a lifelong practice and, and yeah. But once you're starting it and if you're not stopping, it's, you know, it, it's gonna happen by itself and we just don't know you know, when we have a real deep insight into the way things are, we just need to keep on cultivating and doing our best and and see what happens. Yeah.